and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he's actually, secretly, three Lazovs in a trench coat. It's Matt Morgan. So I recently started a garden and I asked my neighbor for some help and, and they really just gave me some sage advice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They, uh, well, they they did say, you know, it's going to take a lot of time. I, I, was, I was, you beat me to it. I wanted to get another dad joke in there, but you are doubly prepared and I'm never ready for it. Well, Dang it. let us move on to, to our next introduction then. <laughs> I just need you to know that I love you and that you are torture and that those are both okay. <laughs> it, it is meant to be funny, so. Okay, so we're going to move on now. We are going to move on now. I am already broken this episode. Up next, he tried reading a new specialized card from Magic Arena, and he came back to tell us that when you gaze into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. It's Dana Roach. Uh, Why did the Scarecrow win the Nobel Peace Prize? Because he was outstanding in his field. Oh, well played, Joey. That that was a joke given to me by someone in the airport (laughs) as I was leaving Richmond. Dana, you uh, also used that one maybe three weeks ago, and also that's still a ripoff of one th- maybe three years ago. <laughs> did I? Did I really? I don't, you I did. don't remember if I did. I use that. Well, now I got to do something different. I didn't know that. No, that's okay, Dana. Senility comes for us all. Anyway, this is the EDH Rec cast. <laughs> EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the Commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, in addition to some good-natured fun ribbing Dana a little bit, what we also like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, can you tell us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, this week, we're going to talk about some pet peeves, and I'm not saying pet peeves as in Dana steals my dad joke from years ago, (laughs) but more pet peeves when it comes to Commander and what we see in games. Yes. Yeah. Little EDH pet peeves, just small things. It's nice sometimes to just have a good old man yells at cloud kind of moment. These are really like generally pretty innocent things that it's fun to be persnickety about sometimes. So we're just going to feel that vibe for a little bit. Hopefully, listeners, uh, it resonates with you and you can have fun just having some innocent little complaining times. It's all in good fun. Real quick, before we get into our main topic, we want to thank Chase, aka Manicurves. Thank you so much, Chase, for helping us with the post production of the show and dana could you tell us about the sponsors of the show if you remember them i'm sorry okay never mind i will drop that joke that is so mean of me but yes we also want to tell you about our sponsors everyone <laughs> the edh Rockcast is sponsored by card kingdom and tcg player uh, shopping there is like getting four rares in your double masters packs Ooh. just go to edh rec and pick the card in question and choose the vendor link down below Doing so supports both the site and the show. And I don't think I repeated that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can also do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast, where we have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to get access to the shows a day early, perhaps, or you want to look at all of our historic challenger stats over the course of the show. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And there's even that super coveted tier where you get that weekly shout out. So this week, that awesome listener that's getting a shout out this week is Dominic Beckman. So thank you so much, Dominic. Uh, hopefully you don't get too many jokes about trying to bend it like Beckman because uh, it doesn't quite work. Uh, that that is that is ludicrous, Matt. Matt, come on. That's... I stretch. I stretched that one like Armstrong. 
that that was that that was a it's, that was a big stretch. And you know, it's so funny. You always <laughs> say that that's our coveted tier, but like that's our lowest tier. It's just a dollar a month, y'all. Like shout outs for just a dollar a month. I don't know. Low low cool. investment for awesome shout outs. That's that's there, my take on it. Matt will make a torturous joke about your names, and I apologize, but I hope you know it's all in good fun. I oh, de- it definitely is all in good fun. <laughs> cool. All right. This is probably one of the weirder intros to the podcast that we've ever had on the show, but we're just going through with it. Let's move to our main topic now. We are talking about some commander pet peeves. It just stuff that happens in commander games that sometimes make us, it, it makes us go into grumpy mode. We're like, oh, my joy is gone. Where did my joy go? Someone bring the joy back. And so that's just what we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, I think up front, it's probably important for us to say that, like, we're going to talk mostly about, like, relatively innocent stuff. Like, again, we're being persnickety about relatively minor things. Like, it's a pet peeve, not like an egregious thing. So there might be some much more egregious things that you don't hear us talk about because they are much worse things to do. And we're just we're here to, like, have a good time while we have a complainy time. Matt, does this make any sense? Am I just should I just let you talk about your pet peeves first? Should I just pass it off to you? I think that this intro is uh, making me lose steam. You're trying really hard. And so I will (laughs) gladly take it from you and we'll we'll get this episode started in earnest. So one thing, there we go. (laughs) Very, very light, nothing to, nothing to shake fist at cloudsy, um, but still something that I'm sure everyone has experienced, whether in game or, or walking by games is people who play their games distracted people who are maybe on their phones the entire time or having side conversations. They're not really just they're just not actively involved in the game. They're always having to like poke their head in and, okay, what I miss? Oh, what just happened? Oh, what, what, who did anybody do anything? Those little things, it, to me, and it kind of grinds my gears as it were, just because you're not really respecting the other people in the pod. Just the, mm. everybody's in there trying to have an adventure together in that experience. And so if your attention is kind of divided elsewhere, to me, that takes away a lot of the the immersion into the game and i would say that a lot of folks probably feel the same way and you might have to say hey I, we're in this game together would you mind putting your phone away for for 10 minutes and that i get that emergencies happen oh uh, my my mm. kid is calling me or my significant other or anything like that that's not saying like things don't come up but there's definitely a difference between something happening and then a behavioral thing where they're somebody's just not really engaged in the game I feel that that makes especially if there are a lot of triggers going around, like a lot of smothering tithe. Did you pay the two or Ristic studies? Did you pay the ones? Those kind of things that like it does require a lot of attention to be paid to the board to cover for a whole lot of those things that can sometimes add up in a weird way, especially if there is some distraction going on. Yeah, the the one I remember seeing, um, and it probably I guess maybe happens less now. But once upon a time, I, I I remember multiple games that would get interrupted by someone trying to do a trade. It's like you're playing a game and someone walks up, it's like, hey, do you still have that card? And like, so the person's trying to play while simultaneously like going through a binder or something. Hmm. Um, that's the kind of thing that, that I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm just like, okay, I, I get it. And maybe you're somebody out there who's listening right now. Maybe you can multitask successfully and do that. But at least try to be aware if you're someone who can't. Like, ask yourself that question. Is this thing I'm doing being disruptive to other players' time? Maybe it isn't. Like, maybe you you can pull that off. But not everybody can. And I've definitely seen situations where they can't. Well, and there's definitely ways that you can politely let people know, just telling the table, hey, uh, I got to answer this phone call real quick. I'm, I'm super sorry. Give me 20 seconds. And then just telling, you know, taking care of your business and then coming back and just 
getting rid of those distractions to be present. Or if somebody comes up to you and tries to start a conversation, I, I know that definitely happened uh, when we, we all were in Richmond. It's not that we don't want to talk to people, but just, mm. hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to let me finish this game real quick. If somebody comes up to you in the shop and asks to trade, like Dana mentioned, hey, yeah, I do want to make that trade with you. Let me finish this game, then I'll come find you and just make it a priority when the game's done. But uh, to me, it just always is kind of weird when one person is just off having these side conversations, not really being present in the game. And, and to me, that's that's probably one of my bigger pet peeves when it comes to Commander. Now, I do think that there is potentially a flip side of this as well. Like what I hear when we go through uh, this one in terms of distraction is there's a, a lot of um, a mismatch of player investment in the game, perhaps. Sure. Um and that is potentially something that can occasionally uh, rear its head in the opposite direction, don't you think? Where there are some folks that are here to really have a chill time. We're going to treat this like a board game night and it's not too serious who pulls off the combo win and who pulls off the... Like, there are certainly those environments in, as well. And so being too strict about certain rules interactions within the game can also sometimes uh, cause that mismatch potentially to happen. So I think that that is a thing to be aware of. It's very much a read the room situation, I think. Like, notice the energy of the other players if folks are really invested in the game and you're clearly not invested in the game that can cause some some strife in there potentially and potentially there are times where you're at a place where everyone's really just hoping to lean back and sort of chill out and you know that, that's a thing worth noting as well as all that i think and i think joey that point is going to probably crop up fairly regularly here too the notion of it being a two-way street and reading the room as well because a lot of these situations are going to be ones where like in different situations, what might be a problem might not be a problem elsewhere. So I know I think yes. that's a really good point. I think we're going to be revisiting that that particular note on a lot of these. Yeah. I mean, does that segue us into one of your pet peeves by well, chance, sure. Dana? Yeah, it, it certainly can. Um, <laughs> so so the, the one for me that the first thing that pops up is continued. I guess I, I would lump a, a several different things under continued loss of agency in a game. Mm. Um, and so one example of that would be like playing against the 40 counter spell Baral deck or, <laughs> you know, playing against someone's particular stasis combo where they have uh, through their deck find, find ways to untap while keeping everyone else from untapping. Um, the, the most recent specific example we've seen of this, I think, comes with the, the amount of goad mechanics we've gotten lately where you can find yourself in a situation in a game where you don't get to make really decisions. Your decisions are being made for you by the fact that you are forced to attack every single time and you can't attack what might be the target you'd prefer to attack. Hmm. Um, and to talk about the caveat there, like, number one, some people like playing through that puzzle. So like that isn't necessarily a problem just because you are playing one of those decks. It's just one of those things where... If you're not in the mood for it or if you haven't prepared yourself for it being that kind of a game, it absolutely can be super frustrating and, and definitely can be for me. Um, and, and the other caveat would be there's just going to people, be people who complain about anything that, like, disrupts their <laughs> game plan. Like, there's a, there's a difference between somebody who's holding, you know, eight counterspells and has managed to use them and someone who just, like, has one counterspell and they're going to use it to stop a thing that should be stopped – because people do get weirdly salty sometimes if you stop the one thing that they're doing too. So like there's definitely a middle ground between just a reasonable response or just a good gameplay and a situation where you legitimately feel like you aren't being you aren't able to play magic because of the the way the person built their deck. There's so much to unpack in that, but I really love that essentially what we can boil this down to, Dana, is that like 
<laughs> when there are things that prevent you from untapping or when there are things that say you must take this action on your turn, you seem to have a very, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad response to that situation. A little bit. Well, again, and, and again, it, it's, it's all about the balance. Like I, I really love to disrupt decorum when it was released as a card. That card is a lot of fun when it was the one version of that card or when there were like two or three versions of it. <laughs> C- comparatively to, Joey, when you built your Carter deck mm-hmm. where you had the ability to force goad literally every single turn, that was a much less interesting play experience, I thought. Um, so it, again, it, it, a lot of it is just density of those things, I think. For me, the difference between finding something annoying and finding it interesting is how frequently it happens in a game. Well, and I have a really good example of this. And it, Joey, it's not any of your fault directly. I would say it's more the design of yeah. just the situations that we found ourselves in. But I remember there was one time, I believe it was your stepdad's deck, somebody like that. They had a Karlov of the Ghost Council deck, which whenever you gain life, you put a bunch of plus one plus counters on Karlov, and then you can pay a white and a black to remove counters to exile target creature. So you were playing that, and you had the engine running. You had all the life gain, all the counters going. And I was trying, keyword, trying to play my Valduck deck. And that just did not happen because as soon as I would play Valduck, it would just get exiled right away and my engine was never going to get running. So my agency was effectively taken away. And and yeah, that game was very disappointing for me because I, like Dana pointed out, I had zero agency in the game. My my deck revolves pretty much solely around my commander. And even though I had a, a, a Lightning Greaves on the battlefield, there was still zero opportunity I would ever have to get through that that lock that you had going on. So yes, having any sense of, well, not any sense, but a, a massive loss of agency in situations like that, I totally get it. It makes for a very unsavory experience. And here's something that I think is important for me to respond to for both of those experiences. Um, like, yeah, I was playing that Karlov Life Gain deck, and that's not one that I'm going to play very frequently, especially because I know the types of games that you really like to play, Matt. And also, uh, in the case of Dana, noticing like that he did not enjoy the Cardor deck experience all that much, where the point of that deck was for me to recur that commander over and over again to force the goad around the table so that my planeswalkers couldn't be attacked. I had a lot of fun brewing that. And it turns out that I didn't have a lot of fun playing playing that because my opponents weren't having a whole lot of fun playing that. I, I was going to note that, Joey, like you realized very, very quickly the, the problems that deck caused with 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 pods. And, and it's not an overpowered deck by any means, yeah. but it was producing a game state that I didn't want because other folks weren't having as much fun with it. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I, maybe I'll, I'll rethink this. And then uh, Karazakar came out and I was just like, oh, Oh, I get to draw cards and I get to lose life. And this is this is risky. And it still does some of the stuff, but not as much of the stuff. And maybe this will be more fun. And hopefully that has been more fun. But I think it's important for us to note, since we're saying stuff like this on the podcast, that y'all have never given me grief about either of those experiences. Yeah. And that it also came down to like understanding the energy in the room on, as you said, the two-way street. The intentionality of it, I think, matters as well, Joey, too. Like you built a deck that wanted to do a thing and it wound up being a frustrating thing to play against versus there's sometimes those situations where someone's intentionally building a frustrating thing to play against (laughs) or they're intentionally tutoring up pieces that are frustrating to play against. And like my reaction tends to be much different versus a, oh, we stumbled into this perfect board state that like kind of keeps anyone from doing anything. That's going to happen versus, oh, this person's deliberately setting up an unplayable board state, knowing it's 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 that situation when very clearly that's not what this game is intended to be. 
like that this is not what everyone's doing in this pod, but you've went and tutored up your pieces to lock things down. So I think that that also is also I, I, I feel much differently about those situations, stumbling into one versus like someone who's springing that trap intentionally. Well, and there's a very, very big distinction. And, and Joy, like I said, we don't fault you at all. It wasn't your fault at all. Like we just we found an interaction that kind of led to somebody not being able to play. And, and you already said you corrected that pretty quickly. But also, like with your with your Carter deck, that was a brand new commander. That's something that happens a lot, I think, is people get very excited to build a brand new commander. Right. And then they don't really realize, oh, this actually is low-key just kind of wild. So, yeah, that definitely happens not just in our playgroup, but in a lot of playgroups, I would wager, is somebody tries to build a new deck with a new commander, and they kind of undersell or underestimate how good that commander might actually be. They might not know. Yeah, they may not yeah. know. And, and and I definitely have come across that. Like, I oopsed into a combo in my Omnath Locus of Rage deck, and it was <laughs> two years into me having the deck. I just never came across the interactions. But yeah, if you have a new commander and you discover new interactions that maybe are kind of oppressive, that's very, very different from somebody building a Derevi deck in 2022. You know, <laughs> you kind of know what you're signing up for and what you're intending to do when you build some of these commanders because... Yeah, you, there's reputations for a reason on some of these commanders versus, oh, this commander just came out two weeks ago and I opened one in a pack. Let's build a deck. Hey, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, very much. I totally feel that, especially when folks are like excited about the new thing. Like you want to do the new thing and you're here to try it out and see what happens. And that is a fun place to be. And it, it can especially be disheartening for a person who has just built the new thing to see that other folks aren't really liking the new thing. Oh, no, but I just put so much money into this. What do I do? That is a conversation sometimes that you can have directly. Sometimes it's maybe an implicit thing and you're able to navigate it in a different way. But yeah, this all does stem back to that that specific the loss of agency in the game is a very big thing thing that can sometimes become a pet peeve and I totally get where that comes from because I mean in both of the stories that y'all told I was the villain in this scenario quote unquote <laughs> like not intentionally a villain like Matt you said Joey we know you didn't do anything wrong anything wrong and I'm like I know I, I know I didn't do anything wrong. well actually <laughs> like, so you say you're the villain in those two stories you're the villain in a lot more stories There's a whole bunch more we've got a list <laughs> okay. of Joey. Joey Joey's always the villain <laughs> the airing of grievances episode of EDH Trackcast <laughs> My my point is that I totally see how y'all got there, even though it was a perfectly normal and natural thing to unfold. Yeah, There's for sure. Yeah, that, that was all I wanted to say. But but actually, let, let's use this as another segue. I'm professionally podcasting here today because I'm announcing the segues because um, <laughs> that's where my brain is at today. Um, let's use this as a segue to one of my pet peeves that actually has to do with that that villainous aspect, I guess. Um, here's a thing that sometimes can get a little bit under my skin, sometimes rankles me, not rankle master of prankles, but just like a regular rankling. It is sometimes a little bit like, really, when the arch enemy in the game is not willing to admit that they're the arch enemy in the game. Sometimes that does have me take a step back and go, really, queen? Like, I'm just a little bit like, like, I've said it previously on the podcast. When y'all use a Bajookabog to exile my 50-card graveyard, I know that I deserve it. And I know that you are making the correct play. Like, you cannot let the Gave deck or the Slimefoot deck keep an Ashnod's Altar in play. You do not let the Super Friends deck keep a doubling season around all game. That is a thing that you just don't do. And threat assessment means that you also have to acknowledge when you are the threat. So if people blow up your doubling season... 
you know that's the right move. Don't try to be tricksy about it. Deflecting when you have a staggering lead will not be effective for politics and EDH. I promise you. Admit it if you're a little bit of the villain. It's totally okay. I mean, I definitely had a game like that happen when I, we were in Richmond, where I had a, uh, a Yasharn in play, which keeps players from sacrificing things to pay costs. Mm. Um, that was keeping the Aristocrats player from winning on the spot. And so when a third player said, well, what's what's the big problem at the table? The, the Aristocrats player said, oh, the Yasharn, that, that, that's, that's <laughs> the big problem. That's stopping everybody from doing things. Well, no. It's stopping you from winning, and that's not the problem. But it turns out like it also was causing the third person from really doing much because they had a a Phyrexian tower and they were trying to get lands. And and yeah, it was it it became an awkward situation. But the deflection of oh, that's the problem, not my slime foot. It's something else. That's where I'm like, "Mm, the the yes, Yasharn is stopping things from happening. But the things that it's stopping is you from winning. Let's let's be real about what the big bad is at the table. Well, I will also point out that I think that the reason when people wind up doing that, it's because they want to win, right? Like they, like they don't want sure. it to be recognized that they're the arch enemy. They're trying to like deflect so they can continue to be the person in the, in the lead position. But, but what has been my experience is when you have that kind of like really defensive, annoyed attitude about your stuff being hit, it has the exact opposite effect. It just annoys <laughs> people and makes them want to hit your stuff. Conversely, one thing I've kind of discovered is if you just own it and like joke about it, yeah, nope, that you needed to remove that. That was I'm absolutely the target. Like if you are gracious and like self-deprecating and in like acknowledging the smart play, <laughs> that is what actually winds up making people make people not focus you. I, I've I've found True. like if you have that kind of good attitude. That's actually the best way to get people to not remove your stuff and maybe not notice you're the arch enemy. I, I do think it makes you look a little bit silly if you are like in an obvious commanding lead and you won't acknowledge that you are in a, a commanding position. And you're like, no, but the other threat is over there. Like it, it does make you look a little biased. It does make you look like you're not too objective. And it does make me kind of like, well, I don't think I'll strike any political deals with this person in this game, I I don't think, because I can't trust them to be objective about what the threat on the board is, which is them. And I don't don't think it's a cute look. I don't think that it works. I think it actually potentially damages your credibility in the game. So be willing to admit if you're a little bit of the heel. Sometimes it's fun. And frankly, seeing people work together to stop you from doing the amazing thing, that is also kind of magical. I really like seeing when opponents work together to dismantle something that they've got to work together to dismantle. That is actually kind of amazing and wonderful to see. And I I appreciate the collective threat assessment that goes on there. And I'm not going to try and be clever about it because they know I won't be fooling anyone. So like they know, let's see if they can do it. If they can't, they're in trouble. But you know, if if they manage to get to it, dang, that is an epic downfall. And that's a story I'm really going to love. So I kind of have, have an oddball one here. Um, I don't necessarily love deal making in Commander, and I know some people do. My idea of 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 making deals in in Commander consists of like, oh, that person's gonna win. Does everyone have an answer? We need to figure out how to deal with this problem. Mm-hmm. That's really where where I stop for the most part. Um, it, but if you're someone who likes doing more than that, it doesn't really bother me, except for when people make dumb deals. <laughs> 
<laughs> or, or deals that make no logical sense over the course of the game. Like one person's winning and they're like, hey, I'll make it a deal. I won't kill you next turn if you don't do this. Hmm. And they're clearly going to just win the game anyway. Like it's not going to make any difference. You are, the, you know, the, the person who has no creatures and isn't playing blue and has no ramp and has nothing in play. And they're like, sure, let's make that deal. I'm like, no, you're not helping. <laughs> All you're doing is giving that person the win. Like that, that I find to be very frustrating. Um, and it's and it's not the kind of thing that ruins a game or ruins a night, but it's just one of those things that is inexplicable to inexplicable to me. And I, I think it, maybe it's an extension of loss of agency to a degree, I guess, because it feels like it it changes the face of a game in a way I can't control and can't do anything about, and and just winds up being one of those things that. I, I just don't love to see in a pod. So Secret Rendezvous is, is like your favorite card, and, and the new Your Temple is Under Attack well, is like you know, your favorite card. I, I, I actually I actually don't mind Secret Rendezvous. Again, I think if you use it logically or like there's probably situations where it makes sense to to make a deal with Secret Rendezvous. I, I'm just mostly talking about ones that are – people sometimes make deals just to make deals, and that that is the one that I always find a little bit frustrating. Okay, okay. See, I, I don't mind making deals necessarily because I know definitely we've we've seen people making deals on the stream at twitch.tv slash edhretcast, and the, the deal makes – not a lot of sense to me or to to the to the the fourth person there sitting at the pod when A and B are making deals. But we don't really know what's going on in somebody's hand or oh. why they might be reaching out. And so yes, good point. A lot of times I'll see a deal. I'm like, why why would you consider that at all? And I so yes, I do agree that sometimes people make deals just to make deals. And they 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 want to act like they are better at politicking than maybe they they actually are. But also, there's a lot of deals that I'll see happening and I question. But then after the game, or or maybe two turns later, it all makes sense suddenly. Okay, that's that's where you were heading with that. I see now. So yeah, I I, I don't hate people trying to make deals because sometimes you don't always know what's going on. But also... Mm. Sometimes people do get kind of liberal with trying to, to make things happen. Matt, I am so happy that you brought that up because this is actually another big point for me. This is this is probably this is like Joey's soapbox moment. I hope everyone's ready right now. For <laughs> Go the, for it. Go for it. But, but like one of my pet peeves be when people forget that other players have hidden information. And like this goes, I'm, I'm sure that right now in the comments of this very video, a lot of folks are saying that their pet peeve is when players have bad threat assessment. I, I am going to ask every person there who's making that comment, every person listening who's thinking about like, oh, yeah, bad threat assessment. I get why that's frustrating. But but Matt was right. You don't know what they have in their hand. You do not know what they have in their hand. That is huge. If someone's doing something that you think looks wrong or questionable, you you have no idea what's in their hand. You do not know if Aelid has an ink shield. You do not know if Daquan has a fog. If there is a huge, big, enormous board that no one is getting rid of, that you were just like, why is no one getting rid of this? Maybe they ain't worried about it. Maybe the threat on the board is only a threat to you and not to everyone else. So complaining about other people's threat assessment is not going to help you out in that situation. So don't do that. Why would you complain about that? It just it just makes you look a little bit helpless. Like, you have to have empathy to play this game. You have to be able to understand what could be in another person's hand. That is part of magic. Like, do they have the counterspell or not? That is a question we are constantly asking ourselves in games of magic. So... Like, you don't know what's in their hand. Remember that. <laughs> Remember that during games of EDH before you start 
like throwing around accusations about threat assessment and stuff like that. It is, it, you just have to remember that. Well, and that's definitely something I've seen in our stream before, for sure, where like someone makes a decision and internally I'm like, I do not understand why they did that. And then a turn later, it becomes clear. You're like, oh, yes. all right, I get it. Yeah. A key part of playing magic is the hidden information part. Yeah. Well, and, and there will be games that uh, maybe, you know, somebody's doing something pretty scary. And I remember a very specific, specific example where, uh, uh, there were some things going on, but I knew Dana and knew his deck that he was playing. I, I forget which one it was, but I went to my combat phase almost instantly and attacked Dana to knock him out of the game because I knew if I let Dana untap, bad things were going to happen, even though it may not have been super obvious to everything else because I had answers in hand for a couple other things, but what Dana was going to do wasn't going to be good for me. And I remember, Dana, you messaged me directly as we were finishing the game, and you said, that was absolutely the right call. I would have killed me too. <laughs> so maybe that, maybe that goes back to one of Joey's points too, is if you're the arch enemy, realize it and, and own it. Mm. But also, yeah, sometimes there's a threat to somebody else, but not to you d directly. So if you take out that threat, Maybe they have a plan for somebody else. So, yeah, and I think this, there's a whole big argument to unpack there. But I do agree with kind of what we're all saying, except for maybe what Dana said about all deals are bad. Sometimes a deal's <laughs> fine. That's definitely what he said. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, just if someone in a game of magic is behaving in a way that you think is bogus, ask yourself if you can see their hand or not. And you know what? Even if you do have perfect information, even if you played a telepathy and you can see everyone's hand, don't quarterback anyway. Uh, that, like, oh. let them figure it out. Even when you see everything. Maybe you missed something on board. The game is really big. Like, again, just empathy is one of the biggest tools that you can develop to make yourself a better magic player and a better person. If I can spring a special point out of nowhere, that is a pet peeve of mine, is people who try to quarterback others, especially ones that maybe are newer and trying to figure things out with their deck. Yes. Just let people sometimes, and, and maybe this is just me, this is how I learn, but let me struggle. Let me sit there and kind of figure it out on my own. I, I, I've i tried playing Aristocrats decks with Joey in the pod, mm -hmm. and Joey probably rolled his eyes at me and, oh my gosh, this is so terrible and it hurts me to watch. <laughs> But which was probably true, but but also sometimes you just got to let people kind of take their lumps and, and figure it out. Don't don't hold their hand. Let them do that. If they ask for help, sure, that is completely different. But don't don't backseat drive for them when when it's their deck. Oh yeah. Well, uh, now I will say though, I have seen people uh -oh. on occasion <laughs> thread that needle thread that needle very nicely where they would where they'll do like a, okay. Um, I, I don't know what you've got going on there. However, this thing over here is probably going to kill us all next turn. So just, I'm, I'm just, I want to point that. Like I've seen, I've seen people that have, have handled that very nicely when someone goes to like deal with a threat instead of dealing with something else that at least in your mind seems much scarier. I have seen folks handle kind of that quarterbacking in a really delicate way that makes sense. But it's maybe not easy to do, and I, I would say it gets handled poorly way more often than it does, than it gets handled delicately. One of the things that I like to do sometimes, like when I notice, for example, that Dana has 50 treasures over there and he's got a jury master of the review that will get enormous when he sacrifices those treasures and then he can fling it and then just like double damage people to just totally obliterate the board. One of the things that sometimes I do is I'm just like... Dana, you have how many treasures over there? Sure, yes. Dana, how big would jury get on your turn? Huh. 
Interesting. Like, it's just like a sly. I don't know if it's effective, but it is a fun thing. No, it's it's a bit like how, like, jokes are funnier if you have to work that one second to get to the punchline, like, to figure out the punchline. <laughs> okay, it's kind of sure. the same thing. Like, th- those things sometimes work better if the person has to do the math in their head and put the problem together. I feel that. Versus, you like, you pointing it out for them so it's really – so – because that then feels like you are maybe lecturing them versus if you're just presenting some information or asking a question and they make that deductive leap, I think that is generally more effective as well. Well, you know what is more effective when we do the math for the, the people, though? Challenge stats. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Segways are better when they're forced. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought my segue energy this episode was a little bit funky, but you just, you, you're the king, Matt. That was wonderful. Yeah, let's challenge the stats. <laughs> We are so silly. Yeah, there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are over or underplayed, so we love to challenge those statistics. Matt, how about you start us off this week? Sure. So my challenge this week is going to come for a background, actually. Not a, a commander creature, but a legendary enchantment that can be in your command zone. And that card is going to be f- uh, Raised by Giants. So Raised by Giants is five and a green for a legendary enchantment background. That says commander creatures you own have base power and toughness of 1010 and are giants in addition to their other types. So, of course, I love this background because I love combat <laughs> and it makes your commander creatures absolutely massive. Mm. But one card that I don't see people playing very much in conjunction with this being in the, in the command zone is Traverse the Outlands. <laughs> this card is four and a green for a sorcery that says search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the greatest power. Among creatures you control, you put those cards onto the battlefield tapped, and then you shuffle. So, with your commander out, and with Raised by Giants out, you have a 10-10. At least one 10-10. And this just gets 10 basics for 5 mana onto the battlefield. Um, (laughs) What? That's That's really good. (laughs) That's Soul Ring type of efficiency with your mana. Like, if you played a 5 mana, you know, comes into play tapped and makes you 10 mana the next turn you would absolutely play that that that's just silly good uh traverse the outlands is basically that effect so it's only being played in five percent of decks with raised by giants as the background that seems absurdly low for how powerful of a ramp spell this is yes it is five mana for a ramp spell but you don't have to ramp for the rest of the game (laughs) you just don't like full stop it's just a fantastic card and and there's a lot of commanders that would benefit from this and so i just if you're playing raised by giants as a background for any of your Baldur's gate legends traverse the outlands i think probably should just be in there full stop uh, it's only being played in five percent you're pretty much always going to get 10 basics out of your line and if you're dana you can't get 10 basics because you only have like four in your deck <laughs> so i get i get dana not playing this but traverse the outlands is just a powerful ramp spell in general and if you're playing raised by giants it just gets astronomically powerful so that's good if you're of the five percent of people playing this already nice job if you're the 95 percent of people that aren't uh get your act together <laughs> it just got reprinted in the Baldur's Gate set, so it's more affordable now. And it, and it was really expensive for a while, so like you know, this is a great effect, even, even just for landfall. But Matt, that is spicy tech. I love backgrounds so much. Raised by Giants is like my favorite thing. Backgrounds are just, it's probably one of the coolest card types in, in several years. And I know we've we've raved about this set already, Yeah, raved about backgrounds already, but they just keep getting cooler. There's so many interactions that you just don't see. Well, speaking of interactions, I will also note Matt Raised by Giants costing six mana is a commander in terms of uh, casting 
One of my favorite cards, Stinging Study. So it will draw you six if that's in your command zone or in play. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh God! Wonderful. I wonder, Dana, if when you cast that, you might draw one of your three basic lands in the deck. Uh, uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oh man, yeah. Okay, that's terrific. And you know what? My challenge actually uh, also involves some Baldur's Gate legends. Uh, so specifically, we're going to be talking about Glunch the Bestower, also known to me and Olivia Gobert Hicks as Glunchables. Thank you so much, Benji, for that one. You know who you are. Um, and this is a wonderful challenge from one of our listeners, Chase Closed. Um, and Chase has a really wonderful non-bow to point out for this commander, and it specifically involves the card Generous Patron. So Glunch is a weird weird Selesnia group hug commander that on your turns you can give away counters and you can give away cards and all that kind of stuff so it's very very group huggy and it's very interesting but there is actually a weird non-bow that is creeping up in the EDH rec data for this commander that Chase points out and it's a really wonderful observation that generous patron card is really cool because it allows you to put counters onto other creatures and it says whenever you put one or more counters on a creature that you don't control you draw a card. So initially, the synergy looks like it would be perfectly cool here because Glunchables over there is giving out counters, right? You draw cards if you give away counters. That actually doesn't work out that way, unfortunately, though, because Glunch the Bestower says at the beginning of your end step, you choose a player and they put two plus one counters onto their creature. So that's not you putting counters onto someone else's creature. That's them putting counters onto their own creature. So Generous Patron wouldn't do anything for the Glunchables deck, which is really unfortunate, but a really good nombo to point out. It's already showing up in 37% of the Glunch decks out there, but it really shouldn't be in this deck at all, unless you've got a lot more things giving away counters that you specifically are placing. So yeah, watch out for that one. Generous Patron, you might be able to find a different card draw spell for this group hug deck instead. And now, Dana, we'll ship it on to you. What is your challenge? Uh, so in honor of recycling my dad joke at the beginning, I'm going to slightly <laughs> recycle a challenge of stats from way, way early in the show. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to recycle it is that I went to build a deck in the last week um, that has kind of a tribal sub-theme. So I went to add Pact of the Serpent to my deck. Pact of the Serpent is um, one and two black for a sorcery, and you choose a creature type, and target player draws X cards and loses X life, where X is the number of creatures they control of the chosen type. So occasionally you'll be able to blast somebody and kill them with it, but like primarily it's going to be used in a tribal-ish deck for you to draw a bunch of cards for only three mana. Um, Pact of the Serpent is in almost 14,000 decks on EDH Rec right now, and it's about $5 to buy, which it was only in a commander deck, so there wasn't a ton of copies out there, and it is a very useful card. Mm. Um, however, there's a very similar card out there that I did challenge very early on, Minions Murmurs. Yes. Minions Murmurs is uh, two black black, so it does cost one more. You draw X cards, lose X life, or X is a number of creatures you control. So you don't have the option to blast someone else with it. However, that's mostly a secondary accidental effect of Pact of the Serpent. No one's really running it just to use it for that. You're mostly using it in your tribal deck to draw a bunch of cards. Uh, and if you are using Pact of the Serpent, Minions Murmurs is probably most definitely also good enough as a second version of that effect in the same deck. It's dirt cheap. It's like a quarter, and it's only in about 2,000 decks. Mm. So Minions Murmurs, if you are willing to run Pact, you should probably be looking at running a second version of Pact of the Serpent, um, especially if your deck isn't fully tribal, 
or it's just a token deck in general, you can draw a ton of cards off it. It's yeah. definitely a really, really useful card that should show up in more than 2,000 decks. Oh, Dana, I love this. I remember using this in an Edgar Markov deck when I had one of those. I think I currently use it in my Thalese deck as well. Like, this is a beautiful draw spell. And you're right. You may have challenged it ages ago, but we got to challenge these things again when the numbers still have not changed, right? So I'm totally here for this one. Yeah, it's definitely one that I don't feel um, too badly about using again. Number one, because I'm aware I used it once versus accidentally (laughs) reusing something. Um, But it's an excellent spell that should definitely see more play. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Now, uh, as is tradition, apparently in this podcast, I'm going to manually segue us out of Challenge the Stats and back to our main topic about pet peeves because professional podcaster, am I? <laughs> um, let's get back to talking <laughs> about those pet peeves. Um, and, and you know what? I think also, you know, if there are bigger things beyond maybe they're not pet peeves, maybe they're peeve peeves. I don't know. I feel like we can probably also open the floor to that too. Like Matt, um, is there anything that grinds your gears still innocent or if it's actually frustrating? I don't know. Like feel I'm once again, manually handing the microphone. I, over to I, you, I will manually take it from you. Don't worry. Um, so <laughs> if, if we're going to talk about things that are maybe a little heavier, uh, I would say say kind of as a blanket statement this this probably applies to every single point we've talked about really uh, but just players who don't respect other people's time there's there's three other people in the pod mm. and this takes many different forms there's no one way that you do this uh the, probably the biggest example is i the, very vividly i remember there was uh, a pregame conversation that we that a pod had that I was in, and one person very much intentionally misled us about oh oh yeah. Uh, this isn't that deck. And it certainly was that deck. And and so it's just like, okay, man, it, <laughs> we, we get it. Like if you needed the win, just tell us. But the, like I said, the, we couldn't help but feel cheated out of the 20 minutes that that game took. And that was, thankfully it was only 20 minutes because this person <laughs> did their thing Oof. and they got their win. Uh, but still it, it felt like that person's time was more important than three other people's time. And that's, that's the part that really, really stung. Uh, Sometimes. And like, I'm not saying don't play powerful decks. That's not what I'm saying at all. But but as long as you're on the same page with the rest of the pod, and that's, that's where we got frustrated because there was very intentionally uh, withheld information. And yeah, that that's where people kind of got lost. And, And if you have a deck that maybe people don't like playing against, Make some concessions. Say like, okay, I want to play this deck tonight. Is that all right with everybody? Uh, Dana, I know you always joke about your Gliss the Trader deck. You have to play that deck early in the night because if you play it <laughs> in your second or third game, you're going to miss a lot of triggers. There's a lot that you're, you're going to miss and it becomes kind of unfun to play for you and other people. The self-awareness like that, just communicating early in the night. Hey, I want to play my Gliss the Trader deck. Uh, is that all right with everybody? Is that what we're in the the type of mood for? That's a perfect way to lead off if you want to play a deck that maybe has a reputation or Joey, like we talked about, the the Karlov of the Ghost Council deck. I will certainly not play my AC Tyrant of Gyre Straits deck unless we are in the mood for certain types of things because I, I want <laughs> sure. to I want to respect there's three other people in the pot. So it's not just my hour, but there's four hours total that's being shared because everybody has that hour. I want to make sure that it's not just me having the good time. Matt, I, I'm absolutely just absolutely. Yes, I think we've all had an experience like that. And, and you're right. Yeah. Like being able to 
um, share that experience is so valuable. But I actually, I, I think that you stumbled onto, well, it's not stumbled. You intended to do this. It, in, intentionality. <laughs> um, you, you, when you mentioned the Glissa example uh, of Dana's Glissa the Trader deck, I actually think that is a, a brilliant thing because you're right that it can also sometimes happen completely accidentally. Like, Dana, this is where I turned you into the villain of the story instead of me being the villain of the story. But your Glissa deck, you have yourself noted, you're not the villain, you're so honest about this, about like how many artifact death triggers all over the place there are in that deck. And that can take a while. Sometimes that takes a lot. Sometimes the amount of time that you were spending doing game actions just because of the artifact death recursion, artifact death recursion, art that is all over the place in that deck, it takes up more than the presumably a lot of 25% of the game that we would expect a player to take up. Your Glissa deck absolutely has a lot of business going on with it. And that can sometimes be the same. It can produce some feel bads. So that is the thing that you are very forthcoming with whenever you bring that deck out. You're just like, hey, just so everyone knows, this deck can be a little finicky. So make sure we're all ready for that. Are we all ready for that? So Matt, I love you bringing that up because it can be done in that callous or intentional way, but it can also be done completely accidentally. And that is also a thing for us all to be aware of. So I I, I love your points. I love your point. Um, so, so I have one here that's a little bit tricky because it's very easy to be on the wrong side of this from either direction. And I've seen people on the wrong side of this from either direction. Um, and that's people who either give advice in a way that it comes across poorly or people who won't take advice that's given <laughs> politely and, and, and given in the best way possible. Mm. Um, in, in Matt touched on this, the second part, or are we touched on the second part of that where like quarterbacking people and telling what they did wrong um, can definitely rub people the wrong way. But on the other hand, I've seen advice given to people politely and with the best of intentions and seen people very much refuse to listen to it or hear it at all. Um, for example, like I can think of a situation where someone was, was playing a deck that was well beyond the power level of the pot and obviously so. Mm. And after the game, uh, before I could even say something, someone else spoke up and said, hey, you know, we very much weren't playing at that power level and we kind of discussed it ahead of time. So do you have a different deck you could perhaps play that better matches what we're trying to do. And the person got very, very angry and defensive and was like, well, I'm sorry that you can't get good, but like, oh, wow. you know, like I've seen that that kind of defensive response to very reasonable advice before too. And that is very, very off-putting. And, and in that situation, um, you know, that's somebody that like, I, I haven't encountered that person again, but like, if I happened to, I will be very unlikely to have any interest in playing with them again, given that response. Well, yeah, call me crazy, Dana, but if you quite literally tell people to get good or, or <laughs> build better decks or whatever, you're probably going to lose, and rightfully so, a lot of potential pod made. Like, I know I have told Joey facetiously, well, why don't you just play better cards? Like, <laughs> the, the, But there's also, uh, A, we're, we're joking in person. We have that foundation of the relationship there. And also, I make sure it's it's very well known. I'm teasing you right now. Yes, it's yeah. it's fine. Like, if, there's not a. I'm telling a stranger you should just build a better deck if you can't keep up. Like, if you say any variation of that, you probably deserve any <laughs> consequences of people not wanting to play with you. Uh, uh, just just to actually linger on the levity here, like Matt, you tell me, like, oh, why don't you play better cards? Like, 
as I'm currently casting a survival of the fittest, like yeah. the obvious sarcasm <laughs> is obvious. Or you know, or so. yeah, or if you play a survival, it's oh, I guess Joy likes to buy his wins. Like <laughs> right, and it's it, just the, like the, oh. the pendulum swings both ways. Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> it is. It, and understood, we know that sense of humor about ourselves. It is a way that we're able to have fun together. And that yes. is a, I, I think we said it probably like three times at this point in the episode, is just like making sure you know how to read the room because it is a social game and we want to all have a fun social time with each other. Yeah, Joey playing a tropical island. Why doesn't he get good at that? <laughs> I think it's funny. So like, yeah, you know your audience is is maybe the way to say it. Um I think that my last point here that I wrote down in my notes would actually be one that is a lot more scaled back. Like I certainly have much bigger grievances that I could air. If I notice gatekeeping happening in the game, that is the kind of thing that like, oh, I will get rankled. Um, so like I I don't want to dwell on that, though. I actually want to bring up a point that might even be a little bit controversial and I'll, I'll see how you guys feel about it here. But the last thing that I think is like maybe just a teensy bit of a pet peeve might be the word is the phrase Boros is bad at ramp. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know if I think that that is true. I don't know if it was ever necessarily true. I think we have been guilty of saying it on this very podcast. I, but I think it's an easy mantra, but it's one that I think is more nuanced than that. Because I, I think that Boros and Mono White in particular struggled a lot with card advantage, which means that they were less able to get consistent land drops. But they still had just as many artifact mana sources as basically any other color combination. And we don't tend to say that Azorius is bad at ramp or that Rakdos is bad at ramp. So, like, I don't know. I just, Dana, what do you feel about that? Do you think that Boros is bad at ramp or do you think that that is maybe a side effect of Boros having bad card advantage throughout the years? I do think Boros is bad at ramp just like every color pair that isn't green is bad at ramp. I mean, by comparison. <laughs> yes. But Boros is no more bad at ramp than every other non-green color pair, for sure. That, yes, that part. That is what I mean. Like, I, I think that Boros not having as much mana consistency is actually a side effect of it having not as much card advantage or card velocity or or consistency like that. And so, and also the fact that for so many years, all of its commanders were just copy-paste aggro things, which was... I'm, I'm glad that we've broken out of that a little bit with more of the Oz gears and things like that. Um, but I, I don't know. That's just me and Dana. Matt, are you where, where are you feeling about it? I'm, I, I don't know. Is it a pet peeve for just me or do you think that I'm completely wrong here? I, I mean, know. we did spend two episodes talking about Boros and, and how to fix it. But also Boros has gotten a little bit better. Just unfortunately, the ways that they've improved it have also splashed into not just fixing red, white, but everything that's playing red or white. Uh, but there are cards that they're trying to get out there and, and we've offered some solutions that we, we won't circle on it now. But yes, any any color that isn't green is going to pale in comparison to the ramp. Now, thankfully, red has gotten treasures, maybe too many treasures, but we've also <laughs> talked about that. Uh, but yes, th there's there are issues. There are obviously weaknesses with every color combination that you're playing. And uh, I, I think people just it's kind of turned into a square peg into a round hole type of scenario mm -hmm. with with expecting Boros to do green things. Uh, that that honestly, that's probably another thing that I could throw out here. Like if you're playing a Boros deck, don't play it like it's a Simic deck. Play it like it's a Boros deck. That play aggro. Sometimes your offense will be your best defense. If you're playing a Simic deck, don't play it like it's a Boros deck. If you're playing Rakdos, don't play it like it's mono green. Like these commanders have different personalities that they also want you to bring to the fold too. So if you are looking for Boros to do the same things that other colors are going to do, you may find yourself disappointed. And there's nothing that Boros can do about that part. So 
I don't know. I hope that that's relatable to other folks out there. Maybe it is just me, but it was a, I felt it was an innocent thing to air there. And I hope that other people like it. Yeah, I think one last point I will, I will bring up is just to kind of restate something we said earlier too, is it's, it's very easy to be on both sides of these. It's very easy to be <laughs> the, the, the person who is annoyed by any amount of, of removal that's being targeted your way, or it's, it's easy to be the person who, it is salty about any kind of play that you view as as being a poor bit of threat assessment or something. So like, mm. there, there's always that Reddit post you see about my play group <laughs> is mad for anything I do, right? Um, sure. And that definitely does happen. Like like it, it, a lot of these things, people do get salty about things that aren't a reason to get salty for sure. That definitely occurs. Um, I think we're trying to focus here on the really obvious egregious ones where like. There's definitely one person on the on the wrong behavioral side of this. I, I think especially with a show like this, like, I, again, a lot of these are just like they're pet peeves. These are like, honestly, I, don't, I had fun. I, I, I had fun talking about like borrow stuff. I, I had fun talking about like people have hidden information. Like those are those are things that are fun. And the reason that we can get emotions activated about all of this is precisely because we care a lot about this game and we want it. We want everyone to have fun and all that stuff. And so that just like gets us right into this mindset of like, oh, we got to optimize the fun. And it's just like, wait a second, we can probably all lean back. We don't need to optimize our fun. We can all just have have the fun but like you know we we bring a lot into this game and that is just where a lot of these things come from and so it's it's fun to have fun talking about the stuff that sometimes isn't fun but i think i've just demonstrated a loop there (laughs) and so i feel a little bit foolish matt save me can you save me can you You, you did demonstrate the loop we will concede at instant speed uh let you have your thing and we'll we can just wrap up from here you know what i think is actually happening is that uh the the senility that dana introduced in the episode is starting to get to me (laughs) he's transferring it to me the not remembering skips a generation i i like this movement (laughs) there we go Okay, listeners, we would love to hear from you about your Commander and EDH pet peeves as well. Let us know. Reach out to us. And in fact, fellas, as we call this episode to a close, let us know where our listeners can find us all. Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. We have guests on every single week. It is always a super fun time. So make sure you tune in for all the games over there. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the podcast at EDHRECcast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast for cool custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.